So I need to tell you something in confidence, a slightly embarrassing story, um, but with sensitive knowledge comes a lot of responsibility on your part, so please don't make me regret this. I need to tell you about the worst moment I've ever had in my athletic, pitiful career that it was. It was in college, I was playing football, and we were playing our biggest rival, uh, biggest game of the year. And so now in football, I played on the defensive end, or the defensive end, played on the D-line. And if you're unfamiliar with the sport, that just means that most of the time, I was going against offensive linemen. And offensive linemen are the guys who are typically taller than six feet and typically more than 300 pounds. The guy I was going against, his name was Ulysses. Ulysses was six foot seven, 365 pounds. Could have been named Goliath, would have made the same amount of sense. And so most of the game, it was kind of a stalemate. We were just banging heads against one another. He's not really destroying me, but I'm by no means destroying him. And so we're just grinding and grinding and grinding. And the thing, though, is you can only hit and get hit by a guy that big so many times until your body goes into survival mode and you just kind of curl up like a ball and pray to the good Lord that you don't die. And that's what happened to me. So it was the fourth quarter. I still have nightmares about this play. Quarterback snapped the ball, six foot seven, 365 pound Ulysses. He grabs me. He literally picks me up off the ground. My feet are dangling like this. And then he starts to drive me a little bit. And all of a sudden, the next thing I know, my feet are higher than my head as he is driving me into the ground. So I'm laying on the ground, totally humiliated, totally emasculated, praying that my soon-to-be wife in the stands did not see that. And then I know that Ulysses is still standing there. I'm going to rephrase that. Ulysses is standing over me. He's not moving. He's kind of straddling me. I'm looking up at 365-pound gut, not sure what's about to happen. And then he turns over. We meet eyes, and all he does is this. I got flexed on. Right, because a flex is what a guy does when there's no more words to be said because he's so impressed with himself. Right, he flexed on top of me, showing that he had best in me, that he was the man, that I was the child. And inversely, when you get flexed upon, you can't really feel smaller as a guy. Like it's just, all right, I get it. You're bigger. You're better. I can see. And so I tell you that because today we are going to be looking at Exodus 11. And if I can sum up this passage as simply as I can, I would say it this way. Exodus 11 is God flexing. This is God showing his total and complete, absolute power, rule, and authority over Pharaoh and over Egypt. And this is no longer uh, bargaining on Moses' part. This is Moses saying to Pharaoh, this is what's about to go down. You are about to get flexed on. And after you get flexed on Pharaoh, there's going to be no doubt in anyone's mind that God is God overall. That's Exodus 11. So if you have your Bible, open up to Exodus 11. If you have it on your phone, uh, click on the ESV translation, because I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's only 10 verses. But I want you this morning to read along with me, and I want you to look for different ways that God is flexing over Pharaoh. So I'm going to start reading. Exodus 11, chapter 1. I'm sorry, Exodus 11, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague 
I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And so he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. I'm going to ask you a question, but I'm not, I don't want you to answer it quite yet. I want you to think about it as we go through the text today. And here's the question. What would God flexing in your life look like? What would God have to do to show you that he is Lord and that you are not? That his way is the right way, that your way isn't? What would God have to do to show you that he, in fact, is God of all? Because I think most of us, we love the idea of God being God over all. Especially when things are going well for us. When we're basically doing what we basically want to do. When life is good, when things are peaches and cream and God's way seems to line up with our way, well, then God can be God of everything. It's good with us. But as soon as God has to flex, as soon as God has to remind us of who we really are, who he really is, well, all of a sudden, flexing is not so great. And so what would God flexing in your life look like? And so as a way of review, the last three chapters of Exodus, God has been sending these plagues upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt and he's really done it for two reasons, right? He has sent hail and darkness and gnats and locusts so that people would know that the Lord is God, that Yahweh is Lord. And the second reason he's done it is, is to encourage or have Pharaoh release the Israelites from slavery so they could go into the wilderness to worship God. But as you know, Pharaoh has not responded appropriately. Instead, he's refused to listen he has not heeded the warnings of God. He has ignored the plagues. His heart has been hardened, and he's tried to hold on to this illusion of power. And so now in chapter 11, Moses comes, and he announces the 10th plague. Or to say it another way, God flexes. Because God flexing in Pharaoh's life, it was pretty clear what he would have to do. Pharaoh thought he was a deity. He thought he was a god. And so all God would have to do to Pharaoh is show Pharaoh that he is not God, and then, in fact, Yahweh is God. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh's whole worldview would come collapsing down. So I want to show you some of the not-so-obvious ways that God is flexing over Pharaoh in chapter 11. Maybe you saw them, maybe you didn't, but I just want us to get on the same page to see these subtle flexes that God makes. 
So the first one he makes, God flexes in provision. So notice the almost comicalness of the way God provides for the Israelites. He says in verse 2, Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man and his neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So Egypt, the nation that is oppressing Israel, God is going to say, they will financially support your exodus. This is like compassion or national. This is adopt a child. Right? Egypt is going to adopt Israel. He says, ask for their gold, ask for their silver. Because you're going to take that, and that's going to be your financial resource as you go into the wilderness to worship me. This is a flex. This is God saying, Pharaoh, everything you think you own, yeah, I'm going to take that, and you're going to financially provide for my people as we leave your land. God is flexing over Pharaoh in his provision. And God continues to flex. God flexes in Moses' exaltation. So remember the story of Moses so far. Starts in Egypt, born, uh, grows up in Pharaoh's household. He kills the guy, and then he runs off into the wilderness. And as he's in the wilderness, he's afraid, he's timid, he's afraid, he's insecure. And then God calls him back to Egypt Moses doesn't really want to lead the Israelites. The Israelites really don't want Moses to lead them, right? And so there's really no reason that Moses should have favor in anyone's sight. And yet God flexes. Verse 3, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. In other words, Pharaoh becomes the dude. Like, everyone likes Pharaoh. He goes from nobody exalted to somebody, were even the Egyptians, the people who are experiencing the plagues that Moses is warning about. They're like, yeah, Moses? Yeah, it's pretty legit. I get on board with Moses. He's kind of good. Like, this is God flexing in the fact that uh, Moses is gaining more popularity and fame than Pharaoh. It's a subtle flex that's all pointing that God is God overall. God continues to flex. God flexes in Israel's distinction. So part of Pharaoh's mindset was the premacy of Egypt. If he was the god, Egyptians were his worshipers, and then Egypt was the kingdom, right? It was the pinnacle of civilization. And then God comes up and he flexes, and he says in verse 7, you're going to know that I make a distinction between Israel and Egypt. Pharaoh, Israel is not your slave. They are my chosen people. They have a divine inheritance, Pharaoh. And when stuff gets real for you, when you start feeling the weight of this flex, not even a dog is going to growl. They're not even going to bark against my people because they are distinct. They are mine. Not Israel, not Egypt has the power. Right? This is God flexing in Israel's distinction. God flexes in Pharaoh's humiliation. So if you want to destroy a self-appointed deity's legitimacy, go after his worshipers. So the setting of Exodus 11, it's very similar to what Moses has been doing the last three chapters. He's in the palace court, standing before Pharaoh, standing before the uh, Egyptian officials, and this is what Moses says to them. In verse 8, he says, All of these your servants, Pharaoh... 
everyone here, they will come down to me. They will bow to me. Like, think about the offense that that sounds to Pharaoh. Talk about humiliation. He's saying, everyone who you think worships you, they're going to come to me, they're going to bow, and they are going to beg that me and the rest of the Israelites leave. Right? This is a flex that God is having over Pharaoh where he says, Pharaoh, you are not who you think you are. You think you're God, you're nothing but a chump. I am God, and I am God overall. See, it's these subtle flexes all throughout chapter 11 that God is reminding all of us that God is God over all things. And so let me just ask you one more time. What would God flexing in your life look like? Would it be a subtle flex? Or would it be something more major? Because as almost ironic as these subtle flexes are, they're nothing compared to the 10th plague when God kills all the firstborns in Egypt. Right? This is the flex that reverberates throughout the whole known world. This is the flex that's so intense that it's actually going to make Pharaoh release the Israelites if only for a moment. Read with me again in verse 4. Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and the firstborn of the cattle. Right, let's just sit in that for one second and try to comprehend what we just read. Let's acknowledge the intensity of that. God is killing all the firstborns. This is hundreds of thousands of people in one night. And it's not just children. It's adolescents, it's teenagers, it's young adults, it's adults, it's elderly people. It goes all the way through the cattle, and God is striking all of them down. Try to think of it as if you're an Egyptian. Try to comprehend such mass killing. So I've been alive for 27 years, and for 27 years, I've been pretty resolved that I don't want to be the dad who is super helicoptery. Right? I don't want to be that smotherer guy who's just over-the-top cutesy, over-the-top corny, over-the-top cheesy. Like, I want to show my kids affection, but I just don't want to be that helicopter smother parent. Uh, here's the thing, though. I've got to tell you something else on confidence, so don't spread this either. My wife's pregnant, seven months pregnant, so we have our firstborn. The trajectory, one woohoo, I appreciate that, whoever that was. <laughs> the trajectory that I'm on is starting to suggest that I might be a little helicoptery. I might be a bit of a smotherer. Because the last seven months when I come home, the first thing I do is I throw my shoes off, I pick up my wife's shirt to her little baby bump, and I start talking. Hey, Nora, this is your dad. I can't wait to meet you. Can't wait to hold you. Can't wait to kiss you. I'm already so proud of you. Right? There's this excitement. There's this anticipation for our firstborn. And I think, man, I bet Egyptians were excited for their firstborns. I bet for them, when they had their firstborn, it was this life-changing moment for them. And then they think that God shows up and he strikes them all down. 
that is almost unthinkable. For Pharaoh, it's even more intense. Because Pharaoh, as I said, he thought he was a deity. And in his framework, his divinity was passed down through the firstborn. So not only is Pharaoh's child being killed, no, his divinity is coming to an end. Effectively, this is the moment that Pharaoh is bested. He has no more power. He has no more claim to the throne. He has no more kingdom. This is when Yahweh shows up and shows that God is God overall. This is a major flex. And I want you to notice the intensity of the flex. Because you see what's different about the 10th plague as opposed to the first nine? I'll remind us of the first nine. There's water to blood. There's frogs. There's gnats. There's flies, the livestock die, there's boils, there's hail, there's locusts, then there's darkness. And now God shows up and kills the firstborn. You see what the difference is? The first nine, God sends something to Egypt. Plague number 10, Yahweh personally shows up. Verse 4, I will go out in the midst of Egypt, right? This is the personal presence of God taking down Pharaoh and taking down Egypt and utterly devastating them in judgment. God shows up and he executes his plan against Pharaoh in Egypt. Psalm 135, the book of Psalms, it's the Bible's worship book. In Psalm 135, the psalmist is giving us reasons to praise God. All these reasons why you should celebrate who God is and all that he's done. You know what reason he gives us to praise God in verse 8? He says, he, that's God, that's Yahweh. He is the one who struck down the firstborns in Egypt. This is God showing up and flexing in such a profound way that Pharaoh will be dethroned, judgment will be executed, and all the people will know that God is God overall. This is the four-star general who tells infantry, stay home, I'm showing up, I got this, the hammer's about to be dropped. See, there's going to be no doubt in anyone's mind after God flexes who the real God is, who the real Lord is. It's going to be Yahweh. This is what it looks like when God flexes. And I think this demands that we ask a really tough question. How can the good God flex in such a severe way? How can the psalmist say, praise God for killing all these firstborns? How can we celebrate God striking down thousands and thousands and thousands of people? It's, it's hard to comprehend. Because presumably, that's a lot of innocent Egyptians who have nothing to do with Pharaoh. It's not their heart that's hard. They're not the ones who are refusing God and his plagues. They want to let the Israelites go, right? That's why they're giving them gold. That's why they're giving them silver. That's why they like Pharaoh. Um, that's why they like Moses. I'm sorry. So how is God good and just and right to strike down all these people who have really nothing to do with what's going on in the court? We need to ask it. We need to wrestle with it. And I would say a few things. When we come to really hard passages in the Bible, 
Try to stay in the Bible as long as you can to get the answers. And so the first thing that you should notice is there's a little bit of poetic justice going on here. Do you remember what Pharaoh's decree was in the first couple chapters of the book of Exodus? He told all the Egyptians to go on an Israelite genocide. Go find their children, kill them. Throw them in the Nile. And that's what the Egyptians did. So now God shows up in the 10th plague and he flexes and he says, and what you've done to my people, you're going to get a taste of your own medicine. I'm flipping the script on you, Pharaoh. And so God, he comes with the severity of a plague. And if you think back to Exodus chapter 4, do you remember what God calls Israel, the name he gives them? He says, Israel is my firstborn son. Pharaoh, you think you can abuse my firstborn? You think you can enslave my firstborn? You think you can kill and beat, pillage? No, 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 Pharaoh. Now you're going to know what it feels like. Because when I show up, I'm taking down your firstborn. Right? It's the severity of this flax that is the most demonstrative way for God to be God over Pharaoh. But this is what I also know. The textual answer doesn't make it any easier to understand. Now you stay with, with the poetical, the literary answer that's going on. It's good and it's right and it's interesting. It doesn't make that hurdle any shorter to get over when you're trying to balance a good God killing so many thousands of people. And so if I could just encourage you with one thing and how I think I would wrestle through this question and answer it. It's really, really important that we remember there are no innocent Egyptians because there's no innocent people anywhere. Right? Everyone is infected with sin and all sin demands death. The Bible says God has the right to give and to take away. God does what God wants to do because that's what makes God God. There's no injustice in God killing anybody. The injustice, though, sometimes is in our definition of justice. Like, does that make sense? Like, when we come to these really hard passages in the Bible, Exodus 11, Exodus 12, which are just two amongst many, and we ask the question, how could a good God act in such a severe way? That's a really good question to ask. Ask it, wrestle with it, struggle through it. But at some point, I, I think we have to take a step back and we have to ask, what presumptions am I bringing to this text? What's fueling my objection here? Because when I read Exodus 11 and I think about the justice and the wrath and the fairness of God, I have this little box. And I have these categories that I try to fit God into this box with. Okay, good God, merciful God, patient God, justice, wrath. And it, it, I think God happily blows this box up because God defies our categories. Our box is not big enough to understand the wrath and the justice and the fairness of God that we see in Exodus 11. But here's the really, really good news. This little box of ours, it's not nearly big enough to understand God's grace and love and mercy either. In a couple thousand years, 
God's going to show up and he's going to have the most history-defining flex of all time. He's going to send his son to walk among men. You know what name the Bible gives Jesus Christ? The firstborn of creation. And then God's going to kill him. And then Christ will defeat sin. He'll defeat death. He'll rise from the grave in order to give us new life. He will rise from the grave and say, anyone who comes to me, no matter what your past is, no matter what you've done, you don't have to work hard, you don't have to keep trying. If you come to me, you can enjoy the new life that I offer. Like, you don't have a box big enough to understand that amount of grace and that amount of love. Okay, that is a flex. That is the most history-defining flex of all time. And so when we wrestle with this question of the justice and wrath and fairness of God, and we have the mercy and grace and love of God, and we're trying to figure out where they intersect, you've got to look at the cross. Because at the cross, you see judgment and wrath. You see justice poured out on sinners. But at the cross, in our place, motivated by love, motivated by grace, motivated by patience and mercy, you see Jesus Christ swallowing that wrath up. His blood is shed for us in order that we can have Christ in us now and be with Christ forever. You know why Christ goes to the cross? It's the exact same reason, Exodus 11, to show that God is God over all things. He's God over sin. He's God over death. He's God over life. He's God over us. And he says, come. Because I flex, you can have life. That's the cross. That's justice, but that's grace. And so let me ask you one last time, what would God flexing in your life look like? What would God have to do to wake you up to his rule and reign and power? What would God have to do to show you that he is God over all things? And maybe the second part of that question, would you even want him to? Like, would you want God to take away a job from you in order to save your marriage? Would you want God to send you through some very intense trials in order that your dependence might grow on him? Would you want God to expose some hidden sin in your life in order to bring about repentance and reconciliation and restoration? Would you want God to hold you accountable to finally start serving the local church, to finally start investing financially in the gospel ministries of the, of the local church, to finally be all in that the gospel might go forth in the Boston, greater Boston area? Would you want God to flex in such a way that there's no denying that God is God overall? And I ask these questions and they're, important, but I don't want us to miss one of the concluding thoughts of this passage. When God flexes, we will submit or we will be submitted. When God flexes, you will bow before God or you will be made to bow before God. Pharaoh did not submit. He was submitted. 
when God tried to show God that he is God over all things, Pharaoh wouldn't bend the knee. He would release the Israelites for only a moment, only to hunt them back down. And because Pharaoh refused to accept God's godness, it would lead to his death. When God flexes, we can submit or we can be submitted. And when you submit, I think you look an awful lot like Jesus Christ. Because on the cross, when God flexed, for the joy set before him, he endured. He submitted to the will of the Father in order to restore all things. And when Christ submitted, a path was made that all people could walk with him, enjoy him, and see God. So what does it look like for us to submit? Well, I think two things. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I think when God flexes, your submission looks like confession. It looks like repentance. It looks like saying, God, I am not the God of my life. I realize that I need you. I realize that my sin demands justice. It demands wrath. I realize that death is... I deserve death, but because Christ died in my place, I can have eternal life and I can rest in his finished work. That's what it looks like to submit. And I think if you're here and you are a Christian, I think what submission looks like for you is taking a step towards holiness. It means being honest enough to look at your life and say, this is where I'm trying to be God right now. This is where I'm refusing to bend the knee to repent of that and then enjoy the gospel that's offered to you through it but to submit to his lordship over all things to where is God flexing in your life because when God flexes you will submit or you will be submitted it's the only two options